It's been a crazy, crazy year. Trump wins the presidency. Cubs win the World Series. We still have no proof of Bigfoot. What is this world coming to? There's an amazing thing about the new year. It sort of gives us an opportunity to start over. Some people make resolutions. And so today I want to read a passage of scripture that will give us, I think, two important resolutions that we can all walk out of here with for ourselves. But before we read it, let's pray. Our Father, we are indeed thankful for you and who you are. We are thankful for what you have done. We are thankful that you are with us during difficult times and during good times. And we pray today that you will bless us as we look at your word, that you will speak to us each in our hearts. And we will walk out of here knowing that we have heard from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I read that the three most broken New Year's resolutions were lose weight, spend less money, and stop smoking. Those are the three that are broken usually in the, within the first couple of days. So I thought, if I want to be successful, I'm going to eat more, spend more money, and try to start smoking. But I don't know. Smoked a cigarette once when I was a kid, and I, you know, I, my father was a fundamentalist minister, so that was really a stretch for me, and I didn't like it anyway. So that was the last time I smoked. So it'd probably be hard for me to take up smoking, but I'll give it a best shot. I'll give it my best shot. Try. Actually, you know, the thing about New Year's is it's just a day on a calendar. Any, any day of the calendar could be New Year's. And if you were from China, they would have a different New Year, different time of the New Year. But it, in some sense, it, it's nice to have this opportunity to just say, okay, what I did last year is over, and now I get a chance to start again. And I wanted for us to read a wonderful passage of Scripture, because what we really want... What all of us really want is not a new year. What we really want is a new earth. And John, writing in the book of Revelation, promises us that that new earth is coming. And in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, this is what John has to say to us. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things 
have passed away. One of the things we must know when we look at the book of Revelation is that it's written in a genre called apocalyptic. Different genres of the text uh, require us to look at them differently. For instance, we don't look at a book of poetry like Proverbs or Psalms in the same way that we look at a book of history like uh, Exodus. And Revelation is apocalyptic. If we had an hour or two, we could talk about apocalyptic, what it means, how it flows together, but you wouldn't put up with that, and rightly so. You don't want to know that much about it, and it's okay. But think of it this way. If you had taken years to learn a language that was unwritten, and then you were to go to this area of the country where they had never seen a, a European person, And you go there and it's your job to try to explain to them what electricity is, but you can't use any visual aids. And so you come there and they they have a hut and in the middle of the hut they have a fire and the smoke goes out from the center and you say, "In, in my world we have, we have this great thing called electricity. And they say, well, what is it? Well, it's this, <clears throat> it's almost like this spirit that travels through wires. And they say, what are wires? And you say, well, the, it's like a spirit that travels through vines. And in my country, we, we chop down trees and then we plant them again to hold up these vines. And they say, why would you? chop them down and then plant them back up. And you say, and these vines, they are very powerful. If someone touches the vines in the wrong way, then the vines can kill them. But if the vines are used in the right way, then they can come into your house and they can allow you to cook without a fire. And they can allow you to to heat yourself with no smoke going out of your hut. And you see what I've been saying all this time is that it's like this, it's like that. But if those people in in that foreign land took those things literally, like there are vines that if you touch them in the wrong way, they can kill people. They would say, why don't you kill those vines? Vines that eat people, we don't want that brought here to our, our place. And you would say, no, no, what I, it's, they don't eat people. <clears throat> I'm just, I'm trying to get you to understand what's going on here. And you see how hard that would be. That's the, that's the problem that John has when he looks at this heavenly vision and he does all that he can to try to explain to us what it is. <clears throat> it's not that easy, you see, it just... This is this amazing, amazing vision that John has. And yet he tells us that there are, I think, two things that we can walk out of here with us. And that every one of us who's here today can resolve in this new year to do two things. Two things. The first is in the first and the second verses. John saw. So the first resolution is to look. Look at what God is doing. Excuse me. Sorry. 
I was out late last night. It's, you know, and I have a headache, so. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm just kidding you about that. I, John saw some interesting things. And so we should resolve to look. What is the thing that we see when we look? The first thing that we see when we look is that the world is broken. You know, I don't have to prove that to you. I can just say it and you know, you all know, that we live in a world that there's something wrong with it, that it's broken, that, 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 that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, right? We know that if the world were the way it was supposed to be, then little children wouldn't die. We know that if the world were the way it was supposed to be, then we wouldn't look back at 2016 and list all of those people whom we knew or knew of that had died. Every year about this time, there's a list of people who had died this year. Nancy Reagan, Wilbur from Mr. Ed. I thought he was already dead. Uh, Miss Cleo. R2-D2. You know, it's just this, we look back and we realize that as much as we love life and as, as much as we liked or didn't like these people, that it doesn't last forever. And every time we drive past a hospital, every time we drive past a funeral home, every time we drive past a cemetery, we're reminded that there's something wrong with this world, that it's not the way it's supposed to be, that something is broken. And John realizes that something is broken. He realizes that this list of those who will die is endless. And it just goes on and on and on. And I venture to say that there may be some people sitting here today whom this will be their last year. We don't know. It's a frightening thought. But it's always a reminder that the world is not what it's supposed to be. But John has some great news for us. This John who is seeing this heavenly vision. We don't know if it's the same John who wrote the book of John. Might be, may not be. But we know that it's this John who is seeing the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to see this vision with him as best we can through the words that he writes. And he tells us something. We remember when we look, we remember that the world is broken. But we also remember that the world will get better. You you think about the, the last line of the Apostles' Creed. It says, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That was one of the central tenets of Christianity. The creeds, they boil down Christianity into its most central essence. Part of that essence is the coming again of the Lord. Part of that essence is the resurrection of the body. Part of that essence is life everlasting. And John is trying to tell us here what that will be like. And that's the reason that he says he saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. It's an amazing thing to realize that this new heaven and this new earth is going to be incredibly different. John here, when I 
teach at the Knox Seminary where I work, when I teach a class called New Testament Theology, often I will give students this passage, Revelation 21, 1 through 8, and I will tell them to find every Old Testament echo that they can because it's full of them. If you really want to read, understand the book of Revelation, there's a set of books that you should read. If you understand that set of books, then you'll really understand it. And the set of books is not left behind. That's not the set of books. The set of books is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, because Revelation is full of these allusions back. And some of the allusions that he's making here to the new heaven and the new earth go back to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 65. And it's there that Isaiah, looking forward, says, on the new earth, the lion will eat straw. The lamb will lie down with the wolf. It's this amazing picture of a time when everybody gets along, even the animals. Can you imagine that? A time when everything is as it should be. And those monkeys that are in the circus and they smoke, they won't smoke anymore. And beagles will obey their masters. That might be too much. But it's this amazing thing that this new city that is coming down, everything will be perfect. Everything will be exactly what it's supposed to be. Everything will be right there. That's what John is telling us. And then he tells us this, this interesting thing. He tells us that there will be no more sea. He uses in the Greek text a sort of quirky way of saying that. There won't be any more sea. And so, of course, if you read that literally, you would think of it like thinking of the vines that kill people. But John is not meaning for us to take this literally. He means for us to look back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Bible. And he means for us to think back on what was the sea. To the Israelites, the sea was the place from which monsters came. The sea was the place from which marauders came to try to take over their land. Because Israel never had a navy. They had a very strong army, but they never had a navy. And when they did try to have a navy, they had, they had to get someone else to sail the ships for them because they just didn't know how. And so when God says to John, there will be no more sea, when John says to us, there will be no more sea, what he is saying to us is, all of those monsters and those terrible, terrible things, they'll not be alive anymore. They'll be gone. They'll be absolutely gone. And he promises us that there will be a new city, a perfect city. People for thousands of years have been trying to imagine what the perfect city would be like. Plato in the Republic tries to imagine what the perfect city will be like. We, in much of our fiction, try to imagine what the perfect place would be like. And John does his best to try to help us to understand what the perfect city is, but he just can't always do it but we know that in the perfect city there won't be any funeral homes there won't be any cemeteries there won't be any hospitals that things will be different that no longer will we worry about whether this will be our last year because in this perfect city we will have as the creed says life everlasting And so, John wants us all to look 
He says it there twice, one in verse 1 and in verse 2. Look. And he means for us all to realize that God is doing something incredible. And that it may not look like it right now. Because we're looking around at the imperfect world in which we live. But one day, the world will be changed. And our lives will be changed. And all of those who trust in Christ, the pain will be no more. So we look. But then there's a second thing that John says to us in the verses 3 and 4. In the first two verses, he says, look. In the second two verses, he says, listen. You notice he says, then I heard a loud voice. A loud voice because there weren't any... uh, you know, uh, PA systems in those days. And so John says it was with a mega voice. Everyone could hear it. I, years ago, one of my areas of study was a, a politician named William Jennings Bryan. You may have heard of him. But I remember seeing Bryan standing on these stages and picture there would be thousands and thousands of men in boar hats. It looked like a sea of boar hats all just standing there listening to him. Without a PA, all just standing there listening to him. And it's said that, that both Brian and other speakers of his day could be heard for up to a mile away without a PA system. This loud voice can be heard not just for a mile away, but all over the whole world. And look at what John tells us that he hears when we listen. The first thing he says, we realize that God is with us. He says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. God is with us. That's an amazing thing. It's entirely counterintuitive when you think about it. That the New Testament begins... In the book of Matthew, in the very first chapter, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. And here in the last book of the Bible, in the last section of the last book of the Bible, God is with us. My old systematics professor, Dr. Raymond, used to say to us, God with us. Brother, he'd say, God with us. I don't understand that. He said, I can understand God against us. I can understand God hates us. I can understand God is angry with us for all the things that we've done. But God with us, that I will never be able to understand. And yet that is what John hears, that God has come and become one of us. God is dwelling with us. The word that's translated there, dwelling, is the same word that's used in the, in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And in the, in the Septuagint, this word is used whenever the children of Israel are out in the desert, right? And they have this, this big tent of meeting. And whenever God comes down and dwells with them in the tabernacle, that is the word that is used. And so God promises us here that God will come down and He will dwell with us. We will be His people and He will be our God. It's an amazing thing to think that God is with us. And this was an important message for the early readers of the book of Revelation. 
It's, it's, it's not right to think of Revelation as some sort of a, you know, a, a psychic hotline in the Bible. That's not what it is. The book of Revelation is meant to comfort us when we face difficulties and trials. And the early church, you remember, faced many, many difficulties. A lot of them from the Roman government. When we hear about Christians being eaten alive by lions, or being burned alive, or being wrapped up in pitch and used to light Nero's garden, all of those things were true. And all of those people who were the early readers of the book of Revelation realized that that could happen to them. Or that could happen to their family. And yet, there was something different. Because when those Romans saw the way that the Christians met their death, when they saw the way that they, they welcomed the lions or they welcomed the fire, when they saw that, their minds were changed. And that's the reason that the early church historian Tertullian says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church grew because of the way that they faced death. And they were able to face death that way because they knew that they were not alone. They knew that God was with them. And you today can realize that John promises us here that God will be with us. That Jesus Christ's name, Emmanuel, means God is with us. Not only is God with us, but God gives us hope. You notice in the fourth verse, John tells us what happens in this new perfect city. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. The difference between the way that the early church met death and the way that non-Christians met death was the difference between hope and no hope. The difference between realizing that there is another life coming and thinking that this is the end. There was a very famous uh, atheist speaker. His name was Robert Ingersoll. You may have heard of him. Robert Ingersoll once was called to speak at the funeral of his brother. And so the great atheist stood there beside the burial place of his brother looking for something to say and this is what he said life is a narrow veil between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities we strive in vain to look beyond the height we cry aloud and the only answer is the echo of our wailing cry from voiceless lips of the unreplying dead comes no word. Isn't that awful? Isn't that an awful word to stand at the funeral of his sibling and say? And yet that is the word. It's the reason that existentialist philosopher Albert Camus, Albert Camus said, there's only one real decision that anyone has to make. And that is whether or not they should commit suicide. Camus realized 
That life without God is absolutely hopeless. And the question is, why should we drag it out anymore? And yet John says to us, there's another world. There's another life. There's another change. And in this life, he says, there will be no more death. Think about that. No more death. Little children can use hospitals as a playground because we won't need them anymore. Cemeteries will look like plowed fields because their members have been resurrected. No more death. And sometimes our culture tries to tell us that death is our friend. That it comes to to take us into the night. But the New Testament is very clear. Death is our enemy. That's not the way that the world is supposed to be. And that's the reason in this new world that John tells us there will be no more death. There will be no more pain because the previous things have passed away. All of the brokenness of this world has passed away. And now we have the new city, the new heaven, the new earth. As refreshed as a new year sort of gives us an opportunity to put away those things that we've done in the past and move forward. The new earth is that times millions because it gives us the opportunity to realize there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more hurt feelings. There will be no more fighting among people. Life will be absolutely perfect. Now it's not. I know that your life is not perfect. And for some of you, you're wondering, will my family ever speak to me again? For some of you, you're wondering, will I ever be able to get my finances right? For some of you, you're wondering, will I ever be able to get over the death of that person that I loved so much? There's coming a world where that will not be true. You remember... That great scene in the, in, the, in the Lord of the Rings where Samwise, I always, when I was a kid, I wished my name was Samwise instead of Samuel, but my parents wouldn't change it. Samwise comes in and he sees Mary and Pippin. They're lying in bed beside one another. There's plenty of room because they're hobbits. And Samwise comes in. He hasn't seen Gandalf. He hasn't seen Mary or Pippin. He thinks that they've been eaten by the Balrog. And so... He comes in, and, 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 and for a long time, he has thought that they were dead. He comes in, and he sees them, and he, this is an incredible thing. His friends and his leader, they're alive. And he turns to Gandalf, and he says what I think is one of the greatest lines in the whole trilogy. He says, Gandalf, is everything bad going to come untrue? That's the message of the gospel that everything bad comes untrue. That in the new city, the new heaven, the new earth, the new world, everything bad comes untrue. It's it's what we're looking for. It's what we long for in our hearts. It's what we know inside of our beings is true. We're looking for it because we know 
that this world is not right. It's just not right. It's because we were made for a better world. An old man was once asked, what was his favorite passage of Scripture? And he said, well, my favorite passage of Scripture is, and it came to pass. They said, what? My favorite passage of Scripture is, and it came to pass. They said, what kind of a favorite passage is that? He said, every time I face difficulties, I know that it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. And every time I face problems, I know that it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. And as we face this new year of 2017, one thing that I can assure you of is that we will all have problems. But one thing that I can assure you of even more than that is that one day, those who trust in Jesus Christ will enter into a world where there are no problems and everything bad comes untrue. And that's our hope. That's our great hope. And today it may be that you don't know what it means to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. You don't know what it means to have this hope. Find somebody to help you. Find somebody to help you understand what it means to look forward to that day. Because it's coming. That day is coming. When at the last trump, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we will all have a new heaven and a new earth. And it's at that time that we'll realize that there's no more death, no more pain, no more fighting, no more grief. It's at that time that we realize it came to pass. That's the day that we're all looking forward to. New year, ah, that's not that great. New earth, oh yeah. That's what we're all waiting for.